Hello, I'm Dan Kurtzke, and and tonight we're going to be taking a look at Green Lantern Mosaic number 14. This is, of course, yet again the John Stewart solo series from the early 90s, and and I apologize for the really, really long delay. But, but you know what? Super Show is behind us now, so we've got. Well, I won't say we've got nothing but free time, but. <laughs> but um, the rest of the series, I'm going to tackle on a straight shot, so no more mess-ups. we got 14 through 18 to do, and and we're going we're gonna to finish this up. We're going to finish this journey. So, right into it then. Uh, mosaic number 14. And just in case you don't remember, because it has been a while, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, you know, last issue ended with one of the peepers kind of enlisting the help of Rockwell and a couple Amazons to to physically overpower John so that the Peeper can telepathically commandeer the ring and use it to to signal for help and armadas and ships and whatever just to forcefully remove the Mosaic citizens from Oa and take them home. Which could end up very shooty, I would imagine, but, you know... So that I mean that's that was last issue and this issue is basically it, it it's basically the issue where you know John is in his own head living out the delusion the peeper gave him to occupy his mind and then coming to terms with the fact that this isn't reality I have to get back to reality and that's in a nutshell that's all this issue is which disappointed me greatly the first time I read it because again 18 is the final issue, and here we are with issue 14 being, you know, at least on the surface, wasted by this tired old convention of, oh, oh, someone's playing with the hero's mind, and he thinks he's in reality, but it's really a dream, or it's really a hallucination, and and you, you have to realize you're in a dream, and then wake yourself up and stop the bad guy, ooh, yeah, that's... That's a great use of our time when we have precious little space left for the series. But, you know, you could, there's a little more to it than that. Just give it, giving credit where credit's due here. There's more layers to it. And it's, it's not so much layers, I guess, as it is interesting points that got thrown in here. Because in his head, in this whole delusion, John thinks he's just flat out on the mosaic like normal, except... You could almost say that the different alien species he inter- he interacts with here are, you know, because it is in his head, is representative of different parts of his mind, you know? Because, you know, pulling out the whole trick he did with, uh, with, uh, fighting Sinestro and then fighting Hal Jordan, the whole, um, re- visually representing different aspects of John himself visually through other characters. You know, that, I think, like, they don't blatantly come out and say it this time around but that could be what they're doing here because I mean 
they very much play up the idealness of the home life he would have with Rose and Toby, just you know, sitting around playing a board game all happy, and you know he pays a visit to the uh, Zudarns, Zundarns, Tomar's people. <laughs> well, can we ch- can we change their their species name to that to to Tomar's people? That would help. <laughs> and they very much represent the the scientific or analytical side of John's mind. It's funny while he's starting to think about himself and his role as Green Lantern he just he yells out just to the sky that you know I am a Green Lantern and I have brought harmony to this world and then he immediately sees the the uh Ubermension the this is this is uh the species of uh the terms escaping me but you know, they're all they're all like peak physical condition they're all the same size and shape and color and and everything is the same and they they see different things as being like blasphemous and and out of all the race of them on the mosaic they actually do look the most superhero-y so this could be kind of a kind of a commentary on the difference between what john is and what john wants to be and what the thing John wants to be actually is. Well, if you if you kind of think about, you know, how his role as Green Lantern and his interpretation of being a Green Lantern is different from what the rest of the core would be. You know, the how, you know, because remember back a couple issues ago, John kind of broke the th- the fourth wall in terms of you know he fell asleep reading a, a Hal Jordan Showcase edition, one of those hardcovers where he wishes being a Green Lantern was as simple as it was in the comic books, you know. And, you know, maybe these kind of kind of all or nothing species of purists is kind of a more realistic take on the idea of what the cliché superhero is like when you view it through more of a real-world cynical lens. Hmm, I wonder if that line of thinking made any sense <laughs> um, and, and you know it keeps going because you know you've got the you've got the glad girls who are kind of standing in for for escapism and fantasy and you've got I don't remember his species name but I think his name is Sophist or that could be his his race I, do, I honestly don't remember I think he was in issue one though I think he was the guy that John talked to towards the end who uh warned him off of just quoting everybody all the time. I, I could be very wrong, though. But this guy, like, he's... To, I mean, to me, he very much represents this, I'll say, psychedelic, psychological side of John that we really never saw before this series began because he's talking here about how, how you know, you can't judge reality based on what you can perceive with your physical senses, you know, your your eyesight your hearing, your taste, touch, what a smell. All of it's limited by your body's limitations and your the limitations of your, your mind. Like, you're... Like, he kind of... Like, it gives you a surface layer to reality, a shadow to what reality really is. And unless you can remove that, you can't really peel back the layers to get to the actual state of reality which is an interesting idea i i've heard 
things similar to it before in other places. And it's certainly fun to think about. But it's also nice and applicable to this whole fact that John's not in reality right now. He's in his own head and doesn't quite realize it yet. Um, you know, eventually, as he's often to do, he makes his way to a piano, which in a... Oh, God, we'll get to that transition scene in a minute. <laughs> but, um... And he's just playing, he's playing, he's playing, and his choice in music is... It's interesting, because he's... I believe the title is uh, He Ain't Got No Rhythm. And there's um, a selected version here that just says... Um, I'm not going to attempt to sing this, so shut up. Um, <laughs> he attracted some attention when he found the fourth dimension, but he ain't got no rhythm, so no one's with him. The loneliest man in town. Which, first off, I love the fact that they keep bringing back the idea of music and rhythm and harmony ever since the Tone Man issue. I really hope that comes up again. But also, he's he's basically singing the song of of doing something kind of impossible like finding the fourth dimension or fixing the mosaic but he don't he doesn't have rhythm he's not at peace he has no harmony within himself and he's the loneliest man in town he's still he's very much kind of an outsider among outsiders and he's just a, as kind of a placeholder there is some heavy catma <laughs> imagery and inferences and throughout this issue that you know again we'll get to that but um you know the fact that the fact that he kind of retreated into song kind of it took his mind deeper than where the peeper was trying to keep him he still can't struggle to the surface of his own mind to be to be conscious and awake in the real world but he's kind of He's submerged himself deeply enough down now. He's below the Peeper's direct influence. So he can kind of become aware of what all's going on and what's what's actually happening. Like, he, he can realize that he's in his own head now is basically what it comes down to. With a little help from Salik, which I guess Salik is telepathic? I, I don't know that that's ever been true before, but this seems to read like he is. Um... And that is to say that the Salak in um, in John's head that appears to help him out talks as though, you know, this is the representation of the real Salak's mind that's reaching out to John's mind kind of thing, you know? And basically the implication of the end of the issue is that, okay, we can't just swim straight up because that's where the peeper is and he'll overpower you, so we're just gonna swim go deeper down and find another way out that way which of course means going down 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 throughout every horrific memory and repressed thing John has in the pit of his soul oh Salak it's worth mentioning too that Salak is he's kind of he's he really is, he's Mosaic's one real holdover from the regular Green Lantern universe, we'll say. Like, he's a character who, you know, very, his place is very firmly with the core. And, you know, he, while he's been in this book, he hasn't been with the core. And 
without them, he's been just kind of aimless and depressed and his life hasn't had purpose to it. So it makes kind of sense that if there's going to be one character that's been in this book that's going to pull kind of John out of this, be his rock, be his his lifeline, it's going to be Salak. Because, you know, it, it, I think back to the the issue where John helped Kilowog train those recruits, you almost get pulled away from the mosaic and back to regular superhero comics. So this is this is someone who belongs in regular superhero comics but is suffering because he can't be reaching out to John to pull John from the bastardized version of a facsimile of the mosaic into you know, at least far enough towards the normal superhero concept to be back into the regular mosaic. This is gonna be such a fucking confusing episode. Oh my god. <laughs> there's a panel. There's two panels on... Three panels. There's three panels on page 12 that, you know, if I had to pick out one thing in this whole mess that I think speaks to the larger picture of the series, I think this is it. Uh, page 12, the last three panels. This is after that uh, that dude Sophist is talking about, you know, yanking out your eyes so you can truly see and all that crap. Um, John says, Oh man, are you way off base? Reality has to be experienced. Not just physically, but viscerally, emotionally. We're organically part of reality. The sentient mind can't detach and become an observer. You may argue that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's more than that. It's a self-propelling one. Tell me that doesn't make you think of the Guardians. And how they've chosen to just emotionally detach from reality. To pull back and just watch and judge from afar. Like, this is this three panels right here is Jon Stewart giving a more mature more practical version of kind of where the Guardians are. Now, the other element to point out here, so the big kind of elephant in the room throughout this issue that shows you that, okay, you know what, this, this is the weird thing that should point out that this isn't the real world, is that the mosaic is overrun by these, these fast-growing purple, pinkish, bulby, fruit, flower, plant things. It's, they seem harmless. They're not sentient. They, they, they're just kind of there, and they're all over the place. They're everywhere. They're in buildings. They're on, they're on every city. They just keep growing. And obviously, you know, the, the imagery is there to make you think, like, oh, okay, this is... Because whenever you're inside John's head and something reddish or pinkish shows up, it tends to represent Katma... Especially since there's a page towards the beginning where he's just kind of, kind of, creepily fondling some of this fruit, but it was, uh, <laughs> uh, like when he's playing the piano later, you know, they all of a sudden have faces, and there's like, you know, play for us, John, play for like they're talking to him, they have face, like, and just adding eyes and lips, these saying it, it makes it look like they're forming more and more into Katma's features just as he goes on through this song and he's playing the song about 
being alone and that's when they start to like like go from just regular looking fruit to having like facial features straight up so so I think it, it's definitely the, it's definitely they're supposed to represent Catman at least in that scene but probably overall cuz you know he's I mean I mean look at the bigger picture here his mind has literally filled the mosaic with her I mean that's that I, I think that just works you know um but it's, when Alex shows up he's talking to John about the differences again between reality and and this fiction and He's basically equating the plants to this representative of the peeper's influence, basically. How, how okay, if John's mind... It, uh, if, if, if the mosaic that we're seeing in this issue is John's mind, given, you know, familiar visual form, then it being permeated by these plants is, is a representative of the peeper's influence permeating John's head. Alex says flat out, you know, uh, no, John, this isn't reality. This is the child's game that you play to keep peace of mind. And when John, like, says, you know, I don't play games, like, I don't look back to my childhood, Alex says, no, what you've lost is the bright and vivid truth of childhood. You've settled for a smooth, round reality, but then you bite into it and it tastes like yuck. Which is a callback to pages earlier when someone ate one of the pieces of fruit and said they taste like yuck. So spit it out. So the here and now is reality, and and the the plants are representing the peeper's influence and representing Katma. Then maybe what John needs to do is stop trying to make reality into something it's not, and just just figure out how to let it be what it is. So, you know, I mean, you could almost say that what the peeper is doing to this mental version of John's reality is is similar to what John's been trying to do to the real mosaic. Uh, but yeah, no, that was the issue. And the art on this one I want to point out, it was um, um, Luke McDonald again. And, you know, again, his art is very up and down. It depends on what page you look at. But it's it's really... He's got this really nice simplistic style to it in some places where they make where it, like it's really clean and they they get some great use of shade or uh, shadow like there's a number of pages in here where there's just like a a close up of John's head as he's looking up or over at something and and like they play up the whites of his eyes and teeth and like the extreme blocky shadow on his face. And it's just super effective. And it's it's just cartoony enough, but you know, unfortunately it's not consistent. It's it just isn't. It's like it's it still looks like the same artist from page to page, but there's just such a marked difference between how these pages look and and like if this was a contemporary comic I'd say we could blame the inkers but there's only one inker on this thing so so I don't know I don't know what happened but yeah not not a bad looking issue it's not a great looking one either but you know, it is what it is the letters page makes a return this time around after being absent from last issue and and they're making up for some lost time this 
in this installment by uh by combining feedback for issues nine and ten. You know, nine being the Christmas issue and ten being the issue where John takes the guardians around the mosaic and you know, for the most part the the people writing in are writing about Christmas and what Christmas means to them and and the portrayal of it in media, which which I won't I won't bore you with because it's it's nothing that really stands out and it certainly doesn't have all that much significance I feel to the discussion but um, um so, actually one of the only letters that touches on issue 10 which which um gave us that map of the mosaic is somebody taking issue with the fact that not every weird alien race we've seen is represented on the map you know he's, you know you're reading a fantastic book when somebody's biggest complaint is that they can't figure out what city those little flying thumbs come from. <laughs> Seriously. That's awesome. Of course, like, Gerard Jones points out that it's just not the dominant species. Like, like uh, Hope Springs is a human civilization, but it's got, like, dogs and rats and bugs and stuff. So this is the same thing. You know, flying thumbs. You know, it happens. I would love to see that. They have little wings. It's great. But, uh, you know, by far the most interesting thing about this letters page this time around is the fact that it starts with giant bold letters that say, Listen, we ain't dead yet. And Jar Jones or, or um, possibly Joe Felice, who's helping him out on writing and, and such, um, just directly addresses the whole, you know, rumors slash fact of Mosaic being cancelled and and he basically says like yeah the series is going to cut short but despite that and regardless of that well actually let me just read what he says here uh blah 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 DC's letting me continue blah 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 uh, this means that we will be here for at least a few more issues and the big revelations and developments concerning John Stewart and his role in the Mosaic world, which I've been hinting at for a while, will appear. The stories may be a bit truncated, and I'll have to skip some of the Air Bunnies exploring the Mosaic world issues that I'd intended, but the big stuff will be here, guaranteed. Which is ni- it's nice to hear. It's It still makes me question, you know how different will it be from how it would have been if it could play out naturally as opposed to being jammed into into four or five issues but but it's one of those things where at this point I'm kind of I'm confident that we're going to arrive at the same end point we would have anyway I guess I'm just nervous about the journey uh what's interesting is immediately after that we get a paragraph of um of Gerard Jones encouraging people to buy up as many copies as they can to get their comic shops to order as many copies as they can to to launch letter writing campaigns to DC and get all their friends in on it to to really boost Mosaic's numbers in these last few months just to to show DC that this sells that this should this should be relaunched in some way in some fashion and the, that the mosaic should have some kind of place somewhere in the DC universe, if not right here in this way, which is, which is interesting because it makes me wonder. It makes me wonder 
uh, not so much what DC knows about what they're going to be doing, because I'm fairly sure they know exactly what they're going to be doing after this, but but more so what they told Gerard Jones, because, well, we'll get to that in a couple episodes. But, but um, it seems like we're very much past the point of no return in terms of of uh, high sales helping to guide this book's fate in any degree, really. Um, but, okay, you know, that is feedback circa 1992. So let's, let's look at feedback circa 2011. Um, we got really nothing from issue 9, other than the fact that J.K. really loves our theme music for the show. Um, uh, but issue 10... Actually, you know what? No, let me correct that. We I got an email from uh, Chad Chad Bokeman on the coast of the Lantercast proper with me over there. He's um, and this is in regard to the Christmas issue, which really makes me think that it's just a it's a time thing because people back in '92 seemed to love this Christmas issue, unless they were saying on a bunch of negative feedback, which is possible. But this book really doesn't seem to play that game, you know. Uh, whereas me. I hated the issue, and apparently Chad felt the same way. He says, um, uh, I heartily agree that this issue was quite the failure. You know, emphasis his, especially the art. I picked up this comic in a 50 cent bin during free comic book day. It was the only mosaic issue I found, and I figured for 50 cents, I might as well pick it up so I can have it there when I one day finish my complete Green Lantern collection. But like any good fan, I couldn't just toss it in the box and not read it first. Unfortunately for me, this was the only Green Lantern mosaic comic I had read. Yes, mosaic number 9 was my first mosaic issue. And my god, did it have an effect. I made sure to pass up any issues I saw from that point on. Damn the collection, I didn't want shit in there with awesomeness. <laughs> this is a great letter. <laughs> but thank god for you, Dan Kurtzke. Yay, that's me. Thanks to these episodes, I'll have to go back and collect the Sears and give it a fair shake. You demand, Dan. You know what's funny about this? <laughs> I... If I had gotten to this, say, a week sooner, <laughs> I, I, Chad and I had both just attended the uh, the Comic Geek Speak Super Show, and set up there was one Wild Pig Comics, the um the retailer turned convention haver. This is kind of notorious for their their monstrous fifty cent bins. And guess what I found? Almost an entire run of in the Wild Pig 50 Cent Bins, but didn't think twice about saying to anybody, because frankly, I just forgot. Yeah. Yeah, Chad, you were in the same room for two straight days with an entire run of Green Lantern Mosaic that would have cost you what, nine bucks? Total? Less, since you already have an issue? Ah. I'm sorry. You know what? I will look for it for you at the next Wild Pig sale. How about that? Uh, Alright, moving on from Christmas. <laughs> Let's see, the thread for issue 10. 
And, you know, there's a this is actually one of our longer threads, I think. We got more feedback on this one than we have in a while. Um but actually I had almost forgotten. I threw out a question to the audience last time or not last time, but in this particular episode, the episode covering issue ten, because this was like a whirlwind tour of the mosaic highlighting all these it did something like triple or double the the number of alien species we had seen or seen named on this this series to date and i threw it out to you guys you know what alien races or what races in general or species or whatever from from anything else would you like to add to the mosaic like what do you think would fit and what's cool is a most of the feedback in the thread is to that specific question. You know, Chad, who we just just talked about, his big idea is to throw in the Daxamites, which, oh my god, and he leaves it for me to explain why this would be the most insane choice ever. You know, his own words right here, they're, they're exceptionally xenophobic, they don't like outsiders at all, like, like I mean, we have we have people on the mosaic that hate outsiders, but they really, really don't. And 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 again, just in case anybody out there doesn't know what a Daxamite is, they're they're I I don't know what the official in Bunny's continuity is right now, but they are basically they're basically Kryptonians that are really really racist and want to kill people who are different. I, sh- I shouldn't say that they don't jump right to killing but I mean as they are it's the kind of thing where like okay if you're in their space if you get too close to them they will act out against you but they wouldn't go out and start purging the stars or anything yet yet I think they would be open to it eventually but you put them on the mosaic where it doesn't matter they're going to be surrounded by everything and everyone they hate all the time they're gonna just snap and explode everybody to which I have to ask a question uh, not so much as a question let me put this differently again they're they've got the same basic physiology as Kryptonians which means they get their Superman-ish powers from a yellow sun so would it be better to have the Daxamites if Oa has a yellow sun or a non-yellow sun? And that seems like a weird thing to say. Granted. But honestly, depending on what you're reading and where you look, Oa does and does not have a yellow sun sometimes. Hell, hell there are times, or depending on what you're reading, Oa does and does not have a sun, period. <laughs> Let alone a yellow one. So, I mean, if I think if you take the Daxamites without the powers, without the yellow sun giving them Superman powers, then it's kind of pointless to have them even be Daxamites. You know, you could just just put in any race that just happens to be xenophobic. It's, I mean, we have that now. But if you if you put them to where they are powered, I think they might actually be too overpowered for the mosaic, you know? Like, like you have, like, a hundred Superman. And how is Jon Stewart supposed to keep the peace there, you know? I, I, I think adding powered Daxamites would just 
it would just make the entire thing fall apart. And let's let's do one more because I think we're running low on here from Cajun Sean, who you know yeah he doesn't post as much as he should. Let's see, he looked outside the DC universe to to other media, which I like that idea. He wants to see the Luxons from Farscape, which, if I'm remembering correctly, was Dargo's people. Let me see, because he does provide a link. Ah, yes. Awesome. I haven't seen Farscape in so long, but I remembered it right. Uh, um, He'd also like to see the Ferengi from Star Trek The Next Generation, the Deep Space Nine. These are the um, you know, Quark. He ran the bar in Deep Space Nine. They're, they're the very, um, we'll say, economically-minded guys. They're all business. They're all... Uh, you could almost call them the antithesis of the Star Trek way of life, where you know, you know, human culture in that era is has like phased out money, and everybody just does what they're good at for the betterment of of the universe and mankind as a whole, kind of thing. Which you know, adding them in, they would actually be a really cool mix if you paired them up with um uh, the peddlers. The guys who just wander the mosaic trying to sell stuff to people. That would be a really like <laughs> that that would that would be that would be really cool. I mean, especially considering like there are entire cities. Like there's an empty chunk of city. It I can't remember whose it is. I think John refers to them as Mr. and Mrs. There's an entire city with just those two people in it. We don't know why. But an entire city that could be like you like used as goods and services to be traded and sold. There's a lot of storytelling potential with the Ferengi and this kind of setup. I I would like that very much. And the third one he says is the Vorlon from Babylon Five, which I have to admit I'm not the least bit familiar with. I've I've never seen Babylon Five. I know. I'm sorry. Uh, just looking at this briefly. It look, looks like they live in fairly toxic areas and, and uh, I guess, involuntarily turn people into telepaths against their will. Which, that, that's a nice ethical issue to deal with on the mosaic. And, and hell, if they live in toxic areas nobody else can get to, they, maybe you could set them up in the yellow zone on the mosaic, which... I can't, I actually forgot about the yellow zone in the last month. I really want to, I want to see what's going on in there. Now, oh, well, it'll be soon. Um, so you yeah, know that's that's cool. That's, those are some cool ideas, everybody. You know, good job, good job. Um, you know what? I think since it's been a while since we've been gone for a little too long, let's let this one let's let this episode go long and and uh, let's play this voicemail. I got a while ago. Hi, this is Scott calling from North Carolina, and I'm hoping that I'm reaching the Lantern Cast, but I'm not so sure because the voicemail didn't sound like it was from you guys. So, anyway, this message is for Dan. Hopefully, I got the right spot. And I just wanted to say that I never really appreciated the Lantern, I mean, the uh, Green Lantern Mosaic before, but I am really enjoying his. His um his run on on his special series I guess it would be the imprint 
that he's doing for Green Lantern or for the Lantern cast. And uh, just uh, keep up the good work and thank you for the entertainment. So have a good day. Thank you, Scott. Uh, <laughs> as everybody will probably remember from the the regular Lantern Cast episodes, we went through a period of a few months where we had to to <laughs> constantly change and update our voicemail number for a slew of reasons. And and at that point, we had not redone our voicemail message. Um, actually. I should check on that to see if we actually did. Oh man, uh, I'm sorry about that, everybody. Um, but you know, beyond that, beyond that, um, thank you, because and the 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 journey of going along this series and just thinking about it and, and from all these angles and picking it apart is this is very easily going to be one of my favorite forget Green Lantern stuff, my favorite comic runs I've ever read. So, you telling me that I'm helping you appreciate this book, whereas before you didn't, that is one of the best compliments you could give me. So, thank you very much. And, you know, with that, I think we're going to cut out of here. So, this is four issues left, everybody. We are going to to power right on through to the end. No more delays, I promise you this. Um, so in the meantime, you can get in touch with me at dan at lanterncast.com or lanterncast at gmail.com. Um, you can contact us on Facebook or at our forums at thecomicforums.com. We have a voicemail number, which... Is two zero six two zero two one one five nine. I promise that's us. I promise. I don't know if there's a message there, but it's us. I swear to you. And let's see. I think that was everything. We're on Twitter. Follow us there. There's there's gonna start being Twitter exclusive stuff up there. We did it with uh, some pre Super Show shenanigans and uh. You know, we're still figuring out exactly what content's going to get put up there, but there will be some. So keep an eye out on Twitter. And I think that's it. So, good night.